Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Well, I got to give a quick shout out because it's Final Four weekend, all right, and Kansas is in the final game, right? So I wanted to give a chance for all my Kansas people, uh, but I, I do want to say that I will be cheering for them, just so you know, but I do have my UK uh, cufflinks on today, all right? Because I want to tell you a story that's going to play into the message today. We're going to talk about suffering and glory. And probably during the halftime show on Monday night, there's a, there's a young man by the name of Oscar Shibwe. He is from Africa, and he's probably going to win National Player of the Year, more than likely, it looks like. And yesterday, he won Associate uh, Player of the Year, and he dedicated it to his father, who died when he was 12 years old from poisoning. Oscar, I got a chance to go back in February. I was at uh, Rupp Arena in Lexington, and I watched him walk out of the locker room after the game with his Bible in his hand because he had just led a devotional for the team. And I've been praying, quite frankly, for my coach that if he doesn't know Jesus, that he would give his heart to Jesus. And you might think that that's silly, but I think that every interest that we have in this life Everything that we love, whether it's gardening, basketball, it doesn't matter. All of it should cause us to love with the love of Jesus those people that are in our purview. And today we're going to see a man who is the God man, who suffers for you and I, so that we can experience the glory that God the Father has for us. Now, the reality is Jesus said, and Paul quoted in Romans, that if we want to reign with Jesus, we have to what? Somebody say it. Does anybody remember? If you want to reign with me, you've got to what? Suffer with me. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to do that. But the reality is, I know a lot of unbelieving people. And I want to tell you something that I know about all of them. You know what it is? they all suffer. See, your suffering is not because God doesn't love you. Suffering is because we live in a fallen, sinful world. And see, everybody's going to experience suffering, but not everybody is going to experience the glory of God. Paul tells the Ephesians in chapter 3, verse 13, that it is through my sufferings that you will experience what? The glory of God. So today I want to invite you to take your program, your Bible, or your internet device, and we're going to talk from Matthew 20 and 21 and 26 about what we can learn about the suffering and glory that is in Christ's life. Look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 17. Matthew writes this. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, 
He took the 12 disciples, somebody say it, where does he take them? Takes them aside. So this is a private meeting. It was by invitation only. There's 12 of them. And listen, on the way he says to them, here's what he says. We're going to go up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man is going to be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they're going to condemn him to death. They're going to deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he's going to be raised on the third day. So what do we learn about the suffering and glory of Christ? Number one, understand you'll share your sufferings with a few. With a few. You and I will suffer in this life. And as you and I suffer, I want you to understand there will never be a large audience wanting to participate in that. Suffering is one of those things that we all want to figure out how to get away from, how to remedy, how to solve, and none of us can. All of us want to be free of suffering, and by no means do I want to be a sadist. I'm not looking for more pain in my life. But the reality is, if I, if I encouraged you today to take out a piece of paper and write down the names of the people that know about the intimate sufferings of your life, that list would be very short. And I want you to understand something. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it's supposed to be. The sufferings of our life, just like with Jesus will only be shared with a few. Now, many will learn about them. Many will see them. Many will be aware of them, just like when Jesus is crucified. But as Jesus gets ready to go to the cross, he does not broadcast to the masses what's getting ready to happen to him. He keeps it among the few. And I don't know if you know this or not, but of the 12 that he shared it with, one of them is actually going to be a part of making it happen. We'll see that a little bit later as we get into the story. So he pulls them aside. So here's what I want to encourage you with. There's something really special happening in our midweek service here. And you say, you're just trying to get me to come. Yes, I'm trying to get you to come. That's my job. But with that said, I want you to understand there's really something special happening in our midweek service. You go, is it the worship? That's good. Is it the teaching? Eh, it's okay. It's actually the connection that people are sharing around these tables because they're getting to know a few. And Tony, you've been here, tell us how many years you've been here. 23 years. And Tony's our director of men and he got up a couple of weeks ago and, and gave our salutation to get ready for our small groups. And I loved what you said, Tony. You said, what I love about this, I've come here for 23 years and now I'm getting to know some of you that I've seen from a distance for a while. See, at some point you have to take a risk. You have to re-engage, and that's where we're at after these two years that we've lived through. You're going to have to make a choice to rise up out of your discouragement, to rise up out of your suffering, and say, you know what? I am going to re-engage. I am going to reconnect. That may just be to a few, but I'm going to do that. Now look at Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to 
uh, to the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you. Immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. And he'll send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. I'll stop there just a second. That verse is a fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city, catch this, the whole city was stirred up. They were saying, who is this masked man, right? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Principle number two, understand many, many, I emphasize the word many, will bask in your glory. This more than likely, verse number eight, excuse me, verse number 11, was more than likely the highest moment of Jesus' earthly life prior to his resurrection. This is the moment when everybody thought he was the stuff. He was untouchable. No one was going to mess with him. He was riding this donkey. Everyone's dropping their cloaks, every, their coats. Everyone's dropping these palm branches, and they're declaring, this is the dude. If you want to be like anybody, be like him. Now, every one of us are going to have some moments in our lives. They're going to be good moments. And people are going to bask in those moments with you. And in those moments, there will be, you will never lack for friendship when you are celebrating something good. People want to be a part of that. And you have to understand that you suffer with a few, but you celebrate with many. This is the way life works. And you may say, well, there's something wrong with it. I don't know that there's anything wrong with it. I think this is the way life is. You're going to have moments in your life when you feel like everything you touch turns to gold, and you're going to feel like there's moments in your life when you cannot find the light switch to turn the light on. Now, as Rick Warren would say, most of your life will be spent like two railroad tracks. One side will be good, the other side will be bad, and you'll be going down both of them at the same time. And most of the people in your life won't see the one track that's bad. They'll only see the one track that's good. And the reality is you have to figure out how to balance that. Look at Matthew chapter 26, verse 2. You know that after two days, the Passover is coming. And the Son of Man's going to be delivered up to be crucified. Whoa, wait a minute. 
Nobody wants to be invited to a party to be told something really bad's about to happen. Ah, ah, now I understand. Now I understand from Jesus' life. Here's how I'm supposed to live my life. I'm supposed to suffer with a few. I'm supposed to celebrate with the masses. And when the masses come, I am to tell them about the significance of why I suffer and for who I suffer. And the purpose for my suffering is for the glory of God and the good of others. Are you tracking with me? Don't get bitter that you suffer with just a few. That's a part of God's plan. Don't get too high about the fact or too resentful or too whatever that you're going to celebrate with the masses. But it's up to you as to whether you're going to combine these two railings in the moment when you have the greatest opportunity to do so, to celebrate the glory of God through the sufferings of your life. Look at verse 3. The chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and to kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an outroar among the people. The reality is, in the highest moment of your life, there will still, the Bible says, even in your best of days, there will be suffering. There will be sorrow in your life. Show me another human being, and let me just encourage you, if there's another human being that you wish you could be, I can assure you that there are things about their life that you would not want to deal with. Every human being has something in their life, some heavy burden. You go, well, I don't see it. Doesn't mean it's not there. Doesn't mean it's not there. See, the universal language is that we all suffer. Some of us suffer physically. Some of us suffer mentally. Some of us suffer emotionally. Some of us suffer relationally. Some of us suffer health-wise. Some of us suffer sexually. Some of us suffer because we're alone. Some of us suffer because we're not alone. We all suffer. We all suffer. And the moment that you can accept that the universal language uh, of, of, of humanity is suffering and you understand that there's few that will suffer with you, there are many that will bask in your opportunity of success, you have to choose to use this to say, you know what, I don't understand. I don't understand even my own life. But I trust you. I trust you. I trust you, Jesus that you know what you're doing. So number three, understand your suffering will come from those who feel most threatened by you. See, when you show the truth, when you actually don't try to, quote unquote, put a best foot forward that's not real, and I'm not saying be rude or be raw or, or be vulgar, but what I'm saying is, what kind of foot forward are you putting for people to see? 
Are you letting people see the suffering of your life and the successes of your life? Or are you only letting them see one or the other? My experience through social media is that people either want to tell you all about their sufferings or they want to tell you all about their successes, but that's not realistic. Both are true of every human being's life. And we have to learn how to mix this together and understand that it is through our suffering, it is through our successes, that God creates platform for us to have opportunity to advance his glory on this earth, but understand that those that will be threatened by you will want you to suffer even more. And it will come from those who, for whatever reason, Judas didn't like Jesus, The Pharisees certainly didn't like Jesus. Matthew 23 shows us why there. They were threatened by Jesus. They were going to lose their control. And my experience is that all of us tend not to like people who take the control that we feel from the success of our lives that enables us to hide the suffering of our lives. Look at verse 6. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon, a leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. When the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And Jesus wasn't excusing, okay. He wasn't saying, don't worry about them. That's not what he was saying. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her which by the way, we just did. So principle number four, understand your glory will come from those you've served and loved. Understand that your glory will come from those that you've loved and served. Now, I love when I get a compliment from somebody, it doesn't matter who it's from. And maybe, maybe you don't like compliments, but I actually do like them. I've learned that if you don't learn to accept a compliment, you won't be able to deal with all the criticism that comes from your life. So I'd highly encourage you to get better at receiving a compliment. You say, well, how do you do that? Here's how you do it. When someone compliments you, Eileen, you say this, thank you. Thank you. You go, that's it? Yeah, that's it. When someone says something nice about you, just say this, thank you. And I have learned in my life that if you learn to accept a compliment, you'll get a lot better at receiving criticism. And so when someone says something nice to you, receive it. But what's really meaningful to me, and I'm sure is really meaningful to you as well, is when someone who lives with you every day knows the in and out, up and down, dark and light sides of you. When they look you square in the eye and they give you a compliment, 
Candace, you know as well as I do what it does to you. It makes you blush. It makes you embarrassed. And it does something inside of you that changes and transforms you. When people that know you compliment you, when it is, you know it's sincere, you know it's cost them in relationship, you know they've suffered with you, they've been a part of the few of your life, and when they have something positive to say about you, it's life-changing. And I want you to understand something. No matter how many people you serve out there, no matter how many people you serve publicly, it's the few that matters most. It's the few people in your life that God has called you. Because everybody's like, what's God's grand calling on my life? Here's God's grand calling, that you serve the few. That you love the few really well. That you iron sharpen iron them. That you get to the point to where you don't want to engage and you engage anyway. You sacrifice. You sacrifice for those that are close to you. Now look at verse 14. Then one of the 12, whose name was Judas, here we go. He went to the chief priest, and here's what he said. What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And here's what they did. They gave him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to what? Somebody say it. To what? Betray him. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? Now, we're entering holy season. And that's what Good Friday is about, is us coming together before Jesus' crucifixion, remembering his death. And by the way, the Good Friday service is unlike any other service we do all year. It is a very solemn service, and I highly encourage you to be a part of it. He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, here's what the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, when it was evening, he reclined at the table with the 12, including Judas. And as they were eating, he said, I say to you, one of you will betray me. That was a tough dinner, wasn't it? That was a tough dinner. Look at their response, verse 22. They're very sorrowful. They begin to say to one another, Is it I, Lord? And he answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes, it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi, teacher? And he said to him, you've said so. It's you, Judas. So number five, understand your greatest suffering will come from those 
who are closest to you. Your greatest suffering will come from those who are either emotionally or physically closest in proximity to you. You say, why is that? Well, partly because of the investment of relationship, the investment of time, the fact that you have grown in your trust of someone. And what I find with people as they age, see, there is a real advantage of being young. You know what it is? Ignorance. It is a beautiful thing. That's why they say ignorance is what? Bliss. And it's great, but the reality is, as you live your life, ignorance goes away. You begin to see and understand the complexities and the layers and the complicated nature of our society and the challenges of how people will use you to get something. You begin to see the ways that you have been betrayed in relationship and you say to yourself, I will never trust again. But see, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus considered the source. He did not determine based on one person's betrayal of him that he was going to not trust anybody anymore. Jesus understood the root of where Judas was coming from. And he understood that some of our greatest pain comes from those that are closest to us. And you know as well as I do, it may be a a father, a mother, uh, it could be a son or a daughter, an aunt, an uncle, a neighbor, a friend, a husband, a wife. Look at verse 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples. Here's what he said. And I want you to understand this in the context of him knowing Judas is going to betray him. I want you to take and eat this. This is my body. By the way, this is why we take communion, and we'll do this in just a little bit after the message, and uh, John will lead us in this. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. Now, let me tell you something funny about that verse. This is, a, this is true. It's, not, it's funny, but it's also true. When it says, drink all of it, drink, it, drink of it, all of you, the Baptist interpretation is all of you. The Catholic interpretation is all of it. And that's why a good priest will not go home until the cup's empty. Whereas a good Baptist, and this is interpretation, that's why interpretation matters, a good Baptist will make sure that everybody who has relationship with Jesus has received the cup. A good priest will make sure all that's in the cup is gone before he goes home. Drink of it, all of you. Jesus says, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I'm not going to drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So here's principle number six. Understand your greatest glory comes after your greatest suffering. You say, where do you see that? Your greatest glory comes after your greatest suffering. Look back at verse 29 again. I will tell you, I won't drink, Jesus says. I won't drink this again 
until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Do you know what Jesus is saying in this verse? This cup will no longer symbolize suffering for me. When Jesus drinks what we're getting ready to drink here in just a few moments, we're getting ready to take the cup and the bread. And when we take these two elements, these physical elements, they are symbolic of the spiritual body and blood of Jesus. My devotions this morning were in Leviticus. That's a tough book. But the life is in the blood. And do you know what Jesus did with his blood? He sacrificed it for your life. He gave his life for your life. And so as we enter in in just a few moments and as John leads us in communion, when we take of the cup and we take of the bread, what we are saying to Jesus is, I identify with your suffering that it is because of your suffering that I can enter in to your glory. And we're going to drink this cup when we come together. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of him. We're going to drink this cup, we're going to eat this bread, and we're going to remember your suffering until the day you come. But when Jesus comes back again and we drink the cup with him then, it is not going to be to remember his suffering. It's going to be to celebrate his glory. His glory. Paul says that our present sufferings do not compare to the glory that awaits us. Our present sufferings do not compare to the glory that awaits us. And so I want to encourage you as you take communion today, I want to encourage you to say to God, God, I drink this because of your sufferings for me. I identify with you in my sufferings and I look forward to celebrating your glory. I look forward to seeing the whites of Jesus' eyes one day. Do you? Amen? I hope so. That's what this is all about. It's all about Jesus. And one day we're going to see him face to face. And every human being is going to give an account for everything about their life. But the most important thing is what we did with Jesus. And I pray that if you've never given your life to Jesus, that you'll say to Jesus today, I give you my life. I give you my life. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central Podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.